Hello everybody, welcome to Ranked, the podcast where movie lovers come together to rank your favorite movies. Which movies will make you reach a cinematic orgasm? And which ones will leave a shit stain in the history of cinema? There's only one way to find out. Join us. My name is Caitlin Denny. I'm a filmmaker and archivist. My name is Julian Vargas, filmmaker. Neither of us are professional film critics, but boy, do we have impeccable cinematic taste. We obsessively watch all the movies by one director, actor, writer, or under a particular theme, and rank them, telling you exactly what to think. This week, we'll be covering the filmography of Scottish filmmaker Lynn Ramsey, including her new film, You Were Never Really Here. So, you did a little bit of research into Lynn Ramsey's life and her experience as a filmmaker. You want to tell us some more about that? Yeah, of course. So she was born in Glasgow in 1969. She initially went to school for photography and later on for film, specializing in directing and cinematography, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense, also the the photography aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, She won the the Jury Can Prize uh, for her graduation film, Small Deaths, in 1996, which Mm -hmm. is remarkable how many people get to say that about their graduation film. Um, And then her short... Gasman in 1998 also won her the same award. And this is all before she made her 1999 full-length debut, uh, The Rat Catcher. Uh, this actually won the Carl Foreman Award for Newcomer uh, for the BAFTAs in 2000. Yeah. Are BAFTAs like the British Oscars, basically? Kind of, right? yeah. Okay. yeah. I've never watched a BAFTA I've never, award. I've never done it. I've never yeah. done that before, okay. but... <laughs> Yeah, they're kind of like that. After that, she went to direct Marvin Keller. As we all know, it, w- it was critically acclaimed. Um, and then we all had to wait for a very long time for a new film. Uh, she ended up getting stuck with an adaptation of Lovely Bones that didn't really go anywhere for her. It ended up getting directed by Peter Jackson. Yeah. Uh, and that movie actually was mostly forgotten. <laughs> And it didn't even do that well. Uh, It wasn't critically acclaimed. Like one critic described it as an expensive looking mess that fails to capture the mood, the poetry, and its source material. Ouch. Um, They should have let Lynn Ramsey do this film because she's really great at mood and poetry. Yeah. And source material. It would have been so amazing. Perfect for her. And I, I read that like, she had worked on a script already yeah. for that film. She It was in development, and Peter Jackson basically stole it away from her. I know. What a bastard. What a bastard. <laughs> and, and, and he screwed it up. So it took almost 10 years for her to make another film. And she joined forces with the otherworldly empress, Tilda Swinton, mm-hmm. uh, for the 2011 Creepy as Fuck, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, and later, after that, in 2013, she was set to direct a movie with Natalie Portman called Jane Got a Gun, but it never happened due to creative differences with the producers. She actually famously walked out of the project in the first day of shooting. What? She was pressured to change her vision, and she was like, fuck that, I'm not doing this. Uh, they wanted to make a bunch of edits to the movie and re-edits to the movie even before she started shooting it. And she was like, I'm not going to put up with this crap, and I'm not doing it. And she Good didn't for do her. it. Good for her. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, no. Yeah, she 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 did that. Um, and then after seven years, finally Jeez. after seven years, we got the movie that is out now, You Were Never Really Here. And 
she's actually supposed to direct uh, Moby Dick, which is kind of strange. And normally I would not be interested in watching a movie about Moby Dick. It sounds kind of boring. But yeah. if it's in Lynn Ramsey's hands, I think I will. And she's supposed to be directing a comedy as well. I wonder Wait, how a Lynn Ramsey comedy would look like. Mm. Uh, I got a few quotes from her that I think are very emblematic of her situation as a woman making movies mm -hmm. and her struggle. So she says, when you're the captain of the ship and there's always tough decisions to make, you got to stick up for what you believe in. If you don't do that, you're doing a disservice to the audience because you're making something really diluted. And if you do that, when you're a guy, you're seen as artistic. Difficulty is seen as a sign of genius, but it's not the same for women. It's a tough industry, and if you're a woman, it's harder, whether you like it or not. Don't get me wrong. I feel privileged to have this job. I feel like a very capable, strong director. They don't ask me to do Batman, but I could do it. Fuck yeah. It's, it's really kind of sad, pathetic, and annoying yeah. that... Uh, Seriously, to just watch a Lean Ramsey movie, we have to wait like 10 years. And a lot of it is trust. I feel like, you know, Martin Scorsese and like so many other filmmakers, they get to make male filmmakers. They get to make movies all the time. And they make a lot of flops, And they too. make a lot of flops that are not even good yeah. and are commercially successful or anything. Yeah. And they still get to make them. I mean, let's talk about Woody Allen. How many movies has oh he had? God, He's yeah. made so many movies. And there's a lot of bad Woody Allen movies. Yeah. And so it just really shows you how there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. And thank God we have someone like Nia Ramsey because it's such a wasted opportunity. She is one of the most, to me, one of the most talented and interesting directors out there. And I wish you could be seeing you know, seeing more material for her. Like, I wish we could see, like, a, one movie per year, every yeah. two years or something. I wish we would have to wait 10 years every time. All right, so let's get started uh, with the four films and feature films in Lynn Ramsey's filmography. Ramsey's first feature, 1999's The Rat Catcher, takes place in 1973's rat-infested tenements of Glasgow, Scotland. The garbage men strike has resulted in a steaming, stinking health hazard pit of squalor for 12-year-old James and his family who are ever waiting to be rehoused out of the slums. After an, an accidental ravine-based trauma, the film follows James in a string of adolescent horrors and awkward relationships that seem triggered by his poverty, but ultimately universal in their frustrating humanness. So, Julian, what did you think about The Rat Catcher? I loved it. Uh, I think The Rat Catcher is a very enigmatic film, and it reminds me of, seriously, the first movie that kind of came to my head when I watched The Rat Catcher, for some reason, was 400 Blows, because it's similar story in the sense, like, it's this boy who's really isolated, mm -hmm. and he's trying to navigate through this really cruel and difficult world i can see that and in this case it's just surrounded by garbage and poverty they're literally yeah. playing with rats yeah like catching rats and because they have nothing else to play with mm -hmm. or killing really like killing rats or kill, yeah, killing rats it's <laughs> it's really with their dead it's bodies. really gruesome yeah i think the rat catcher is almost more about throwing children into the experience of adulthood what it reminded me of was 
it's like that film, The Secret of Rowan and Nish, oh. meets Harmony Corrine's Gummo. Oh. It's like an exploitative story of childhood with this magical realism infiltrated mm-hmm. in it at the same time. Yeah, and you see a lot of um, similarities to her other movies mm-hmm. um, that you end up seeing later on. Like, at the beginning of the movie, the first thing we see is this kid playing with a curtain, and he seems like he's almost going to asphyxiate himself. Yeah. And it's just like the beginning of You Were Never Really Here. Mm-hmm. It has the yeah. same interest. She plays with the same themes. Well, I think maybe some of her characters are meant to be the same people throughout the films, and the Rat Catcher is a definite. You, we can talk. I was going to talk about it while we talked about Morvern Collar, but James Gillespie is the little boy's name in the Rat Catcher. That is also the name of the dead boyfriend in Morvern Collar. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, the two kids that she, that he uh, interacts the most, uh, well. There's the sister, the little girl. Yep. Uh, and then we also see the other boy who's obsessed with animals. Kenny. That's kind of annoying. Kenny. Little kid. And everybody seems to think he's really annoying, but he yeah. he still put, puts up with, with it because he, he sees some good qualities in him. I think he likes the innocence that he provides because everyone else is kind of being a bully and attacking each other. Mm-hmm. And this kid, even though he lives in that world, he's still he's still a kid he still wants to talk yeah. about animals and and all these geeky facts about animals yeah it's and his like last that. connection to his childhood especially after he spoiler kills another child but he doesn't really kill him he just well yeah he kills him <laughs> he lets him drown basically he lets him drown yeah and so i think that I don't know, we don't know what his life was like before that, but he was he was acting as the bully in that situation, right? Like there's a, the other older boys who bully him throughout the film. And so his, he I think maybe he has, a, obviously he has extreme guilt over that situation. Oh, yeah. Which makes him cling on to this character, Kenny, in, yeah. in a protective mode, I think. I, 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 I think that like, and that is such a crucial part of the movie, and it's also a very bold move in Ramsey's part that mm-hmm. the movie starts like that. It, right from the beginning, it starts with this kid killing another kid. I also love the soundtrack in this film. And I think that um, it does a great service because it's very it's very up the time. Like I like when they're mm-hmm. they're watching Tom Jones on the TV. Oh, oh Tom Jones. How does she and, say it? Tom Jones. Oh, oh yeah. Tom do- Jones. Oh. Tom Tom Oh, the little, know, girl, the little girl so loves funny. Tom Jones. Yeah. And then that scene where they, after the mom and the dad have that fight, and they're both dancing together to Nancy Sinatra and Frank Sinatra, uh, something stupid. The use of music is so, it's so great perfect. in this movie. Yeah. And another thing too, the set. I was also oh, really yeah. because there's no set. That's the part about it that I like. It's obviously filmed in a small apartment and you see all the doors and you see and you, you get a really good sense of how tiny the space is. Yeah. And I love that about it. I think it's so genius that there's not that they're not using a set. It mm-hmm. just really takes you there. Yeah, and it's like 
I love how she how they the cinematographer Alwyn Kugler also films scenes from outside of the rooms and just includes the hallways in in the shots too because that's how they're viewing their life. Mm-hmm. It's like they can see everything that's happening in that tiny apartment. They can see their parents fighting. They can see nothing's a secret to any of them. And less detail about this movie, which is really, really sad. Mm-hmm. This movie never really got uh, a theatrical release. That's right. Yeah, I read that. Which, it's such a shame because it's such a beautiful movie. Like it everybody, is. Everybody should, everybody go watch The Rat Catcher. It's so worth it. And actually, the DVD, it also includes all her short films. So yeah. we really recommend it. And it's released by Criterion. Exactly. So thank you, Criterion, for it's a, it's a great Criterion release that is worth owning. 2002, Morbin Collar tells the story of Morbin Collar, played by Samantha Morton, a woman who works at a Glasgow supermarket in the produce section, and has her life completely changed when her boyfriend commits suicide, leaving a great record collection and his novel, Saved in a Floppy Disk. Morbin uh, embarks on a trip to Spain with her best pal, Lana, and intends to sell her boyfriend's novel, pretending that she wrote it. This film won the hearts of critics, art cinema audiences, and film students like myself. This won her the award of the youth at the 2002 Cannes Film Festival. This was also this was an adaptation of a novel with the same title by Alan Warner. The adapted screenplay was written by Ramsey. So I I think Morvan Collar is like the greatest love letter to mixtapes in in film. It's been used in other films. I agree. Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> probably the cheesiest. A use of that and uh, the most like yeah. cliche soundtrack, but anyways, and like weird nostalgic. But this is like you know your boyfriend who commits suicide leaves a series of mixtapes as Christmas presents for you, and she uses these as both Ramsey uses them as a narrative device, and the character Morvern Collar uses it as a therapeutic device and a way to get through um, what has just happened to her and to move on and and live out. A dream of hers and it's all set by the soundtrack that her yeah. deceased boyfriend has left her who is, is also little james and the rat catcher <laughs> exactly which is when she, the you know it's important to uh like it's 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 the first one of the first things you see in the movie it's her christmas present it's a yeah. walkman yeah and the tape so you get the mixtape and the Walkman that she's going to use for the rest of the movie. She's going to be listening to a Walkman. Yeah. So my favorite scene in, in the film is when she's uh, listening to the mixtape. And it's uh, she's listening to uh, by Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood walking through the grocery store to her produce section job in the Scottish supermarket. And it creates this magical, like forward thrusting movement in her life and this is when she's gonna tell Lana her best friend that they're going on this journey a vacation a spring break if you will with her to her friend Lana but to her this is like her inward journey moving forward and that song catapults her into that world that's one of my favorite scenes of the movie and I think also it plays around with the with the sense of fantasy that music can give you because when she's when she has her headphones on and she's walking into the supermarket, the way the, the cinematography plays and it's just almost like slow motion, it's like a fantasy world. Like we're looking at the supermarket as if, it, as if it's something really beautiful and not mm-hmm. mundane. Like it just, 
it it becomes like uh, a fantasy, and then it's and then the sound goes with the disruption of that fantasy, because the sound in the movie also changes once she unplugs her headphones. We hear that the sound gets lowered, and now we're aware that it's coming from the headphones, and we also hear the sound of the environment that she's in. Right. So it's like crushing so that stuck. fantasy. It's like, okay, I was... It becomes that now I'm, sound, I'm, not a soundtrack anymore. Now yeah. I'm back into my world uh, working at this supermarket for minimum yeah. wage. Uh, one of the things, too, uh, with the soundtrack that is common between this movie and her previous movie, Red Catcher, is like the, all the music is... Uh, diegetic music meaning that the music is not there's not like a score it's not coming from nowhere the yeah, music in the is film. in the film mm-hmm. it's either coming from the walkman or it's playing on the radio mm-hmm. or on tv like in the rat catcher right mm-hmm. and i love that this is one of the best soundtracks ever actually this is a message for all this <laughs> art students when they're starting your art school career or film school career if you want to be a cooler person Get this, get this soundtrack. Listen to all, and and research every single band that it's in there. It's pretty cool. And you're gonna be a really cool I mean, person. There's two can songs on the soundtrack, which Nancy Sinatra, Boards of Canada, Belva Underground. Yeah, it's it's so good. I also really love her exploration of female um, friendship in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Morvern and her friend Lana are really. It's the kind of friendship when you see people like this, women, as a woman, when you see other women in public who are as good of friends as these two women are, you get a little jealous. You're like, how come I don't have a friend that we can just look at each other and laugh at any moment and just feel that connected? But it really goes through the motions of them, of their friendship kind of falling apart based off of a lot of things that happen. But it's a, the death of the boyfriend who also turns out to be was the lover of her best friend Lana mm-hmm. um, breaks down their relationship and reveals things about their nature that actually shows maybe they don't they're not on the same level Morvern wants to dig deeper and go exploring and have adventures that aren't just pinned on having one night stands and and yeah. uh, getting drunk at spring break which Lana that's what she Kinda, wants to do. She she's wants like, to I get... want to be a small town girl, stay here, and go get drunk on spring break every year. And that's the lifestyle. And that's the lifestyle stop dream- she even tells Morvern to stop dreaming at a certain point. Yeah, she, she says, um, there's nothing wrong with here. It's just the same crap as everywhere. Exactly. And in a way, I totally agree with Lana, but Morvern just... She knows that there's something else out she there. She needs to she go. Goes, she knows that, that she needs to go. And I love that that friendship just falls apart at the end. No, it's, it's, like, it's a great, you know it's a great inspiration by... yeah. of friendship. And yeah. it's, and it's like, they're different too. And you mm-hmm. see the difference between them all the time. Like sometimes when she, when they're hanging out, she only wants to listen to music and just chill. She always like in and that her friend scene. Won't shut up, she yeah. always she wants shut up and she wants to do something and like remember they end up making cookies. Well, let's, She's like, let's bake that. Let's yeah, bake. and then they're just throwing. Okay, that yeah. scene was my least favorite because like, oh yeah, let's bake, and it cuts to them just throwing flour around the kitchen. Nobody would do that. One thing also, we see, there's also another sh- another bath scene in this movie, which we see it because the two of them take a bath together. Oh, yeah, at the grandma's house. So it's very yeah. similar to the same thing that we mm-hmm. see in 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 Red Catcher, and we also see images of water, people being submerged in water, 
uh, obviously we've seen in Red Catcher. We see it again in this one too. There's a lot of themes of drowning and, and like drowning. losing oxygen, like with okay, water. But yeah. Mm -hmm. And this yeah. movie is definitely more like a mood piece. It's almost like like a poem, almost like a character story, but it's very poetic. All with the mixtape in the background. <laughs> yeah, from beginning to end, it's like the connective tissue of this film. Being a parent to a psycho killer could probably really screw you up and maybe convince you that it's all of your fault. If this cheery scenario lights you up, you definitely need to see We Need to Talk About Kevin, <laughs> Ramsey's 2011 film adaptation of Lionel Shriver's novel of the same name, is a reflective narrative recounting the conception, child-rearing experience, and ever-glaring looks of the detached Kevin from the viewpoint of his travel editor mother, Ava. This film seems especially timely today as the U.S. dives deeper and deeper into young white men committing random acts of violence, and as women in the film and TV industry finally get more and more power to have their voices heard. Ramsey had to rewrite the, the script for this film to lower the budget considerably, as funding was scarce. Just another blow after losing her previous script to Peter Jackson. It's a nice way to... <laughs> just flow right into your next movie there, you know? Yeah. Um, so she really overcame a lot of obstacles. I mean, in all of her filmmaking, but this one seemed especially difficult to get through and to move on into. I mean, it's a 2011 film, and her the last film she had made was Morver and Collar in 2002. Mm -hmm. So it took her a while. What, do you, what did you think about it? So we need to talk about Kevin. It's probably the most difficult of Lynn Ramsey's films. Um, I think there's a lot of good things to say about this movie, but I definitely had issues with the script uh, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I did think that the movie was heavy-handed in certain aspects. Um, I Basically, my main beef with it is it's a couple of things that just didn't make sense to me one is this kid is so psychotic and he's such a little shit did it ever occur to his parents to take him to a fucking therapist yeah. or something like at least I think it would make the whole thing more believable if you see actually the family trying to do something about it. But well, it's just she, like they, they just can't let it happen. I mean, they have they one... They did go to the doctor. And the doctor when, was like, only, I would worry about it. Only one time when he was a little kid. But that's yeah, it. But then when right. he's turned all these psychotic behaviors and adolescent and everything and they don't do anything, yeah, it's a little bit hard to believe. And then also yeah. the way she was treated by other people. Like, like trash all the time. That was a little bit like heavy-handed to me too. It's like, really? Is that really how it goes? And also, why is she still living in that town? If something like that happens to anybody, get the fuck out of there. Go and start a new life That's somewhere a good else. Point. Yeah, why was so she staying in that So scene? why is she submitting to a torture? So I think for me, it was difficult mm -hmm. to completely let myself submerge into the film because that really kind of took me out of it. And it made me... It just wasn't believable mm -hmm. for me. Um, well, it's an extreme circumstance, and I think it's maybe every parent's worst nightmare um, is to have a child that, I mean, not necessarily becomes a psychotic murderer, but to have a child that you have no connection with and who doesn't love you and that you don't love. 
you know, I think it really is about, I think this is a mother-child story, obviously, um, but it's more about their relationship than anything else. So, how's school going? It's going. On my course schedule. How about your teachers? Are there any who are... Right. What bands am I listening to these days? Next, you can wheedle about whether there isn't some cute little cunt in the front row who's got me itchy. That way you can segue into how it's all up to me, of course, but before bawling the chick in the hallway, you might decide to wait until I'm ready. Right around dessert, you can ask about drugs. Real careful, like, because you don't want to scare me into, like, lying my head off. So you have to say how you've experimented. And finally, once you've sucked up that entire bottle of wine, you can go all gooey-eyed and say how nice it is to spend quality time together. You can scooch over and put your arm around my shoulder and give it a little squeeze. It is. And sometimes I kind of wonder, it seems a little bit confusing too, because sometimes it kind of wants to be like a psychological thriller. But in a sense, it's almost more like a horror movie, the way it's played out. Well, I think it is hard to have a child who completely is detached from you, shows love for the other parent, and actively hates you. It is really dark and and hard to watch sometimes. However, the soundtrack (laughs) um, really contrasts that. There's a lot of happy songs in this movie. But the soundtrack, too, is is a break from from her usual use of music. Because this time the music is is non-diegetic. It's Except not, for one it, scene. It, for the most part, the it's coming, it's coming. It's coming from somewhere else. It's coming yeah. from. It's not in the film. Yeah. It's just there. She makes a nod to Morgan Collar with the janitor who's vacuuming in the travel agency, and he's listening to headphones. Oh yeah, yeah. That that one. That's part, her but, one part. Yeah. But for the most, and I don't think. I think sometimes it's successful, but at some points I did find it kind of heavy-handed. I think that, so there, too. Actually, there was there yeah. was a scene when she's like. Uh, spying on his stuff in the room mm-hmm. and they play a song called In My Room. It's like, come on, seriously? That's, <laughs> that's a little bit too obvious. Like, Yeah, and then I read Johnny Greenwood did the score to this film, but I honestly, I don't... I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember I the love score. Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, yeah, but I don't remember. But I don't remember the score. I do remember the pop songs that she yeah. uses, though. I have to say, this movie has probably the most horrifying potty training sequence you'll ever see in a movie. <laughs> 2017, You Were Never Really Here, tells the story of a killer for hire played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is in a mission to rescue the underage daughter of a public official from a sex trafficking ring. This adaptation, written by Ramsey, is based on a book by the same name, written by Jonathan Ames. It premiered at the 2017 Cannes Film Festival, winning for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix. The initial version that was premiered was altered uh, with the addition of war flashbacks and newly conceived sound editing to reflect more accurately the impact of PTSD on the main character. Johnny Greenwood of Readyhead does the soundtrack for this film. I love this movie so much. I think she's really mastered a lot of the things that she was exploring in her previous films. Um, and she really, to me, she is the uh, master of suspense, of living filmmakers today. She is the master of cinem- uh, cinematic suspense. 
I was literally, I almost fell out of my seat while watching this movie. Uh, there's a few scenes in the brothel where the camera's going around corners in a hallway. Almost reminded me of uh, The Shining when when the boy's going around the corners in the hallway and you're like, oh my god, what's around the next corner? It's Joe, Joaquin Phoenix's character, trying to find these sex traffickers um, in this brothel house. And I was in so much suspense. I almost fell out of my seat because I was trying to look around the corner of the hallway as he's going through the house. And I like realized it when I almost fell. I was like, oh my god, like <laughs> having this physical reaction to this movie. Did you like it? <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie, and I think it's definitely the culmination of all the work she has been doing. Yeah. Um, I think I basically, I think I make the connection mostly with Morbin Keller, and we need to talk about Kevin. Um, I think it employs a lot of the same kind of like poetic and the vignette creating um, um, approach that she takes. Uh, but I think it reaches a stronger emotional connection than she did in Morbin Keller. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the experimentation that she uses in that film, uh, even though it's beautiful, I think sometimes it hinders the emotional connection you can have with the character. I agree. She yeah. still takes those same tropes, but in this movie, she just she manages to also get that emotional part. It's experimental as well. It's not a conventional film the way it's mm -hmm. done, but it really grabs you. I see a comparison as well to we need to talk about Kevin with her, the time frame, the time flow structure of this film, though it's a little more present in we need to talk about Kevin in you were never really here. There's basic, there's two stories of the same character, Joe. Joaquin Phoenix's character as a child, a young man, and now as a fully grown adult taking care of his mother. And we keep going through flashbacks to his childhood, flashbacks to when he was a soldier in the, I think it's Iraq War. Um, and it's so, it, it keeps telling these perpendicular stories of the same man and how his past influences his present and future. And the flashbacks are similar to what you get in, in We Need to Talk About Kevin. But I think there's so much more richer in this film. And also, yeah, the flashbacks, you get a lot of ambiguity. Because a lot of the things, they seem like, it seems like moments of trauma. But some of them are not necessarily completely clear. Mm -hmm. But that's fine. Because it kind of reflects the way like things would go internally in his mind. When, when you're suffering with PTSD, you're not going to get the full story in your head every time. You just get certain Fractured. scenes yeah. that actually really kind of like it. cause trauma in you. And mm -hmm. I think that's what she does with it. One thing also that I've noticed too in the way she works cinematography in this film is how the cinematography seems to be opening up and opening up. I feel like at the beginning, it's very claustrophobic. Mm, it's, a of, it's a lot of... It's a lot of um, detail shots. Yeah. Uh -huh. You get very close to everything. Yeah. And then as the movie progresses, you start seeing more wider and wider shots. Yeah. Mm. To the point that we see that beautiful wide shot when he's in the water with his mom. Mm. 
and then at the end we see that I'm not gonna tell the end, but there's like a white oh. shot of a cafeteria. You'll see, but it just it definitely like it seems like the camera keeps opening and opening. Then. It mirrors Joe, the the main character, yeah, um, and his growth and his clarity. I think that happens in his mind as the film progresses, and also I think it follows the same track as um, the actual filmmaking that happened for this for for this movie. I heard listened to an interview with Ramsey and, and Phoenix and they said they you know they weren't quite sure what Joe's motive was and what he was really about when they first started shooting they just started shooting right off the bat really fast um, and as they started shooting they developed the character more and more and more and maybe that happened a bit too with the cinematography that it grew with the character at the same time you know the, like the character is kind of like opening up to you yeah mm-hmm. in front of your eyes like yeah. that's what you're seeing the same as and that's i think that's the most impressive quality about ramsey throughout her all her films it's this marriage with the cinematography it feels really intentional Every shot seems really intentional to create a mood, to create, to get you there. Yeah. Johnny Greenwood did the soundtrack for Which this film, too. Which is amazing, and, by the way. Oh, my God. I mean, I think it's better. I was floored by his sound, um, score for The Phantom Thread, but I think this was even better than that in She's a lot of ways because really it was talented. exactly what you wanted without expecting it. This movie has been compared by many to Taxi Driver. Yeah. And I can totally see the similarities. And I think... I mean, I see, the stories. I see two similar The stories, but it also shows two filmmakers at their prime. Yeah. When they're making their best work. I just hope that we don't have to wait another 10 years for another yeah. film. This is the moment... You have been waiting for, and quite frankly, I've been waiting for too. I'm really curious. Yeah. Uh, we're going to rank these movies. We're going to rank Lean Ramsey's movies. Let's do it. It's let's only four. So let's four. go with number four. Mine is We Need to Talk About Kevin. Same. That's, so this is our least favorite. The bottom of the barrel, the golden turd, if you will. Goes to bed. We, we still recommend this him. movie. I still recommend it. To, I recommend it to Lynn Ramsey fans. And, and cinephile, fans. cinephiles and, fans. and film, just film. Not to your normal everyday Joe on the sidewalk. Maybe not. <laughs> Number three, The Rat Catcher. I put more of her in collar. Ooh. All right, all right, all right. Number two, Marvin Caller. The Rat Catcher. And number one... Mm. You You were were never never really here. here. We both love that movie. We'd love to hear your opinions. You can comment on our SoundCloud And Twitter. And on Twitter, you can write to us. It's at RankedPod. Exactly. And let us know what your list is, especially for a list that's this short. It's not too difficult to watch your entire film. And you're interested in Lean Ramsey, watch them all. It's only four movies. Just watch them all, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And... Please listen to our next episode. If you want to watch along with us, we will list the films that we're going to be covering. See you next time.